Well, welcome to All Things Cardio-Oncology. This is the podcast of the International Cardio-Oncology Society. My name is Steve Caselli. I'm the Executive Director for ICOS, and I'm here today with Dr. Daniel Lenahan, who's the President of ICOS. And we have with us today Dr. Giuseppe Grigliano, who is Associate Professor of Medical Oncology at the University of Milan in Italy. We're all aware that Italy has suffered one of the worst outbreaks of the coronavirus in the world, and so we're thankful for Dr. Crigliano for taking time today to be with us out of his busy schedule to speak with us about the, the implications of this pandemic for the care of cardio-oncology patients in particular. So thank you, Dr. Crigliano, for taking the time uh, out of your hectic schedule to be with us today. Maybe we can uh, just begin by you describing for us how the COVID situation has affected your care, the care that you're providing for your patients with cancer. So thank you very much for this very interesting question, I believe. You know, once the pandemic started in Italy, it was March 2020, and we had all the intensive care unit devastated by thousands of patients coming to the hospital. So what to do in this specific situation? As a doctor working in the cancer field, the first action was to allocate resources. So to identify doctors who should take care about COVID patients and doctors who should take care in another pathway of cancer patients. So prioritize, allocate resources. So the most important thing was how to prioritize cancer treatment. You know, it was very important to understand that even if the COVID-19 pandemics was ongoing, you should guarantee the best of care to cancer patients, both in the yearly cancer setting or in the metastatic cancer setting. So we defined some specific priorities in order to get access to surgery to some patients, to get access to chemotherapy, targeted therapy, and radiation therapy. I worked a lot in collaboration with the European Society for Medical Oncology in order to define the best prioritization setting for any type of disease. And in order to have an expert opinion on which type of approach we should manage to take care of our patients. So first, allocate resource, second, prioritize. And finally, the, the other important action that we took was to define specific hospitals in the area of Milano that were COVID safe. So let's say, since we have so many patients arriving in many hospitals, we need to define some hospital just for patients with cardiovascular emergencies and some hospital for patients with cancer emergencies. So we had an organization in HUB and SPOX. So the SPOX hospital in most of the cases were COVID hospital, but in case in that SPOX hospital, there was a patient with a newly diagnosed cancer, those patients had been referred to the HUB hospital. We did, of course, of the testing for uh, SARS-CoV-2, and in case the patient was negative, 
he was, of course, a candidate for surgery, if surgery was the first indication, or chemotherapy, or targeted therapy. Excellent. Um, how, how would you describe just um, how you now are personally preparing for your visits with your patients? How has it changed in this circumstance? Uh, you know, actually, since we flattened the curve uh, uh, in three weeks from now, now the, the number of cases in my hospital and uh, in a regional Bardia are decreasing. So yesterday in all Italy, the number of new cases were 350 and just 90 in the area of Milan. So we stopped the lockdown and we are in a phase two, we are reopening everything. So you know, what we are doing actually in our hospital is to perform a triage outside the hospital to limit the access for relatives. Any patient may have access in the hospital following a triage. And of course, all the patients and all the medical oncologists should wear personal protective equipment. So we are actually in another phase and we can better manage the relationship with our patients and we can better also take care of them. Dan, you want to jump in with follow-up questions? Well, I think that, you know, it's honestly, you know, much of what we do in, in the United States, or at least in, in St. Louis, is very similar to what Giuseppe described. I will say that, you know, for the most part, we really look to Italy to help, you know, educate us and lead us toward, uh, you know, how to best manage these situations. So. I think that, you know, Giuseppe's description of how they prioritize treatments and whether they uh, triage, you know, immediate treatment or defer it uh, for a number of weeks or whatever the case may be, those are all those are all processes that we have put in place here in the United States. And like I said, it was it was taking Italy's lead. So we really appreciate all of what they've done. And maybe both of you could comment on this question is just do you how do you think this uh, pandemic is going to sort of fundamentally change the way we uh, practice in these areas of cardio oncology in particular? Do you think we're going to get back to what we used to do or you think where might there be permanent changes? Uh, you know, maybe we would use uh, much more telemedicine, you know, maybe follow-up visits that in the past were in-person visits actually are televisits. So you can contact the patient with Skype or with, with any other platform. You can collect the data on toxicity uh, derived from a specific treatment and you can understand from the patient if you need or not to visit in person. What we did also is to deliver home some medication like the oral medication. So I believe that something will change at least in order to implement technologies that may allow any type of medical evaluation with, with telemedicine. This is my, my opinion. 
Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. I think that if I had to think of negative things that came from, you know, the whole COVID pandemic, you know, I could have a long list. Uh, the, the most obvious is the just the need to use PPE or personal protective equipment, you know, for every visit and every situation in which you work. So that is clearly a, a problem and it's uh, not only is it an inconvenience, but it's a tremendous expense. So that's, that's the downside to what has happened with the COVID pandemic. But the upside without a question is what Giuseppe was just describing. I think that we have been thinking about and you know, discussing things with our institution about doing telemedicine for years. And we could never get them to really kind of get over the hump and start it. And uh, because of the pandemic, you know, they they immediately figured that out, like instantly. And so we have been using telemedicine for, for weeks now. And uh, just as Giuseppe said, I think that that is, in many situations, that's a significant advance. People don't have to travel to Milano or St. Louis. If they live in a more rural community, they can uh, get their, get their follow-up uh, in that way. And then also you can extend your expertise farther away than, than what you currently could do. I mean, I'm sure there are examples that Giuseppe would say that, you know, people uh, outside of Milano never even came to their institution for evaluation because of physical barriers, you know, whether it be traveling or expense, et cetera. And uh, having telemedicine as an option would really change the game. Yes. And what about, I know both of you have been involved in, in some discussions regarding um, screening of patients in this current situation. Uh, following up on patients who have cancer now, how has your practice uh, had to change in these regards? Oh yes, regarding the screening, this is a very good question, I believe. So once we, are, we were in the, in the middle of the pandemics, it was not possible to screen everyone uh, for SARS-CoV-2. So, you know, in the beginning, uh, we screened uh, just uh, symptomatic patients. Also, one symptom was enough uh, to propose a screening. But, uh, you know, actually, uh, we, ha we have less patients. So we decided, as for internal policy, that any patient who will have access to our hospital now that we have less cases will be tested. And what we are discovering that we have a percentage of patients that are asymptomatic and are positive for RT-PCR. So it will be very important to identify those patients that are asymptomatic in order to limit the potential of infection in the context of an hospital that should be COVID safe since we have, uh, we have to take care of cancer patients. So we just launched the project actually, and there will be a three months project and all uh, patients will come to the hospital 
to receive a surgical procedure or to start a new treatment will be tested uh, for SARS-CoV-2. And we will do a dual testing. The first one will be the swab, and so RNA extraction. And the second one will be the serological testing for IgG and IgM. So now this is possible. It's a methodology to screen, to identify the asymptomatic positive, and to isolate them in order to avoid a new spreading of the, of the virus. Dan, any thoughts on that? No, I mean I agree with I, I agree with all that. You know, if we think about it from a cardiology procedural point of view, uh, we've had to adopt a very similar approach to what Giuseppe just described. So I don't think, uh, in essence, there's any difference there. I think that that is, it's a it's a reality of the current day. It's not. It's never going to go back. You know, we won't go back to what what existed uh, in January of 2020, at least in the U.S. Uh, we won't go back to that time. So it's a it's a different day now. And Giuseppe, what about following up on your cancer patients? Have you modified how you're following up? Are you keeping them away from the hospital, trying to do more uh, testing at a distance, or how how are you? modifying your procedures of dealing with your patients? Uh, you know, we, we modified in the, in, during the pandemics, of course, uh, the so-called low-risk patients. There are a lot of patients with low risk overlaps or receiving oral treatments. So we decided for all those patients to avoid the access to the hospital. So let's assume you have a, a tumor with a very low risk overlaps is no, there is no need to come to the hospital to do follow-up, screening, and something like this. So we concentrated really for patients with a, an iris cancer and for all those patients for which really the access to the hospital was mandatory. And Dan, yeah. what about you with uh, the heart monitoring of your patients? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a really important question because I think in some situations we, over the years, have been reliant on cardiology testing and in particular testing that would require people come to a hospital or a, a, a location. And, you know, so we, we had gotten very comfortable with doing those tests on a fairly frequent basis. And in some patients, you know, that's an important way of monitoring. But in other patients, it's not, it's probably not necessary. So I think that figuring out which patients need to be monitored closely by serial imaging versus those that could be monitored by blood tests or just uh, telemedicine or some other form of uh, connection to the patient that doesn't involve a, a detailed test, I think. You know, these are the areas that we really need to define now, and I and I certainly think uh, cardiac biomarkers or blood tests can be a way of screening for for people that are at high risk. Just like Giuseppe was saying, people that are at low risk, we don't need to monitor them as closely as we once did, 
but people at high risk, maybe we do. So I think that using the cardiac biomarkers is probably a very important strategy and, and should be very cost effective. And what do you all think about just the future in terms of where we're headed with reinstituting, you know, large gatherings for physicians, for patient conferences, survivor groups, those kinds of things. How how do you think that's going to be different for us going forward? You know, I was uh, I was writing this morning an editorial for a newspaper in Italy, and uh, the question was exactly the same. So if you look about history of pandemics, we had the first uh, pandemic event uh, in 2002. It was the SARS and the virus was a coronavirus. The name was SARS-CoV-1. And it was very similar to this one. If you remember, AACR in Toronto was canceled. And in 2002, there was an editorial telling us in the future we will do a lot of virtual meetings, web meetings, and nothing happens. Then we had another pandemic in 2012, it was the MERS. The same thing, we will do virtual meetings. So I am not so sure that this will change. Because in my opinion, okay, this year we canceled the ASCO meeting, Maybe we will also cancel the, the ESMO meeting, but uh, I am not so sure that in the future we will cancel the in-person meetings. I am quite sure that we will forget of these pandemics. A new <laughs> pandemics will arrive in five to six years, and we never learn from history what we have to learn. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with Giuseppe's uh, summary of, of history and how we tend to forget it, but uh, I will say that this one seems to have impacted, you know, our you know, society in a much bigger way. So I, if it is going to go back to previously, uh, it's going to take a lot longer to get there. So, but yeah, one other, think... yeah, one other question that I had before. Uh, Giuseppe goes that I think is yeah. really important is, you know, especially since at this moment in medicine, all you can think about is COVID. Everything is COVID. And, and I know that you are intimately involved in new drug development. And, you know, what do you see happening from this? You know, in my sense, I get a feeling that the the impetus for new drug development has, got, has just taken a major hit. And I'm not sure that there's going to be the same energy or finances leading towards new drug development. I would be very concerned about that. You know, your observation is an important observation. Uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic, so clinical trials uh, have been stopped. And their accrual are dramatically, dramatically decreased. Uh, you know now that the big, uh, the big, the most important thing is to boost uh, research on vaccines on infectious disease. But uh, you know, in a few months, in one year from now, 
we still have to face the really big killers that uh, that will be no more the COVID-19. The big killer are cardiovascular disease and cancer. And uh, I believe that in the future, there will be a lot of attention again for our patients. And in our specific field, that is cardio-oncology, in which the two big killers are joining force together in order to take care of cancer patients from the cardiovascular point of view, I believe there will be still a lot of uh, space, investment, and research efforts in our field. What are your thoughts about that, Dan? Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I want to share his enthusiasm, and I hope that it does go that way. I am worried just because, you know, the, especially in, in the United States, for sure, and I can only guess in the rest of the world, is, is, you know, the focus, every single thing, all research is dedicated towards developing something to do with COVID. It doesn't have anything to do with cancer or cardiovascular disease, really. It's all about COVID. And uh, that's, uh, it's like, you know, the problem is, is that that's, that's just a temporary thing. It's a, uh, it's a virus that happens to be here. There's going to be another virus coming sometime soon. And, you know, I think that uh, cancer and heart disease uh, are not going away and uh, they never did. And so I, I'm, I'm just, I, I just hope that the medical community can refocus back on the, on the issues that they were really gaining such tremendous success in. And, uh, you know, I hope that it, it goes back that way. Yes. So you, you know how many paper on PubMed from the beginning of March to today have been published on COVID-19? I was looking this morning and they are 14,500. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, just to do a summary of these 14,500, the final message for all these outstanding papers going from Nature Science New England and finally to the, to the journal with a lower impact factor, the final message is that in order to face the COVID-19 pandemics, we need containment, social isolation, and wash your hands. So medicines of 21 century did not help us to face COVID-19 pandemics. Mm. We did exactly the same <laughs> like in the medicine of the 19th century. That's, that's very true. I think uh, washing, washing our hands uh, is important no matter what era. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that goes back to the 16th century, not just the 19th century, the same okay. advice. And so this is your comment. I just said <laughs> 19, now you are going back to 16. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Giuseppe. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your very busy schedule. And uh, certainly uh, we see you and your colleagues as leaders in how we manage these 
these issues. So thank you so much for all your great effort. Thank, thank you so much for, for your invitation. It was really a pleasure and uh, stay safe. All right, you too. Thank you. If any of our listeners would like more information about cardio-oncology or ICOS, you can go to our website, which is ic-os.org, and there you'll find a number of helpful resources.